Okay, boys. So, for whatever reason, the majority of you guys are not coming back Shanabet, which is uh, an existential catastrophe, to put it to put it slightly. But uh, I guess I'm not so good at brainwashing, and therefore, <laughs> therefore. <laughs> Huh? I got Chuck. I got Chuck. I got Chuck. I offered to put you guys up, but you guys were scared. After you saw what happened to Chuck, you were scared. But, uh, but okay, so now the goal is that obviously the fact that you were here for a year and you learned, my hope is that you love learning and that it's not just that you had like this few month experience but it's something you want to continue so now there's different shacks when it comes to learning there's what I would call learning bi'yun and learning bi'kiyas learning bi'yun and learning bi'kiyas those are two totally different things the two totally different approaches to learning and the two totally different goals learning bi'kiyas is irrelevant to the quantity of material that you see. And learning Bi'in is also irrelevant to the amount of material that you see. The way I would categorize it is that learning Bi'kiyas is knowing what is being said. And learning Bi'in is knowing why that which is being said is being said. So you can learn Reb Chaim, and you can learn a Gemara without Rashi and the two things are not contradictory because one is knowing what's being expressed and the other is knowing why is that which is being expressed being expressed yeah so now if you're learning Bikiyas the goal of learning Bikiyas is to gather information you're gathering information now you have to know information, right? If you're going to go and try to understand, you know, calculus without knowing algebra, it's not going to work, right? So the more basic general information that you have regarding mathematics, it's going to help you for when you're doing higher math or applied math, because if you're missing the basic information, so nothing doing, right? Try to learn the sugi of Pesach Pesuach Metzosi without knowing what Hadas Baldin is. So how are you supposed to know what Hadas Baldin is? So you have to learn. Or you have to have a Rebbe that learn. Right? One or the other. And then they're just filling in that information that you don't have. But really that's the goal of Bikiyas. is to gather information. That, if you want to do that, you should have a project. And you should have a set goal of how much information you want to cover and at a pace that you want to cover it at. So let's say, I have a goal, I'm, I don't know, I'm going to NYU, and I have classes, and I'm going to be part of the Jewish community, but at the end of the day, I'm not, let's be a practical rabbi, I'm not going to sit here and learn for two hours a day, right? Obviously not. But I mean, 20 minutes a day I could hear. 20 minutes a day I could hear. So my goal, my freshman year, I'm going to go through Penine Halacha, and I'm going to three chalakim and hilcha Shabbos. I'm going to go through three chalakim and hilcha Shabbos and Pnei Alacha. That sounds crazy, right? Three whole volumes of Pnei Alacha? That's like insane. So you know what you could do? You can look. 
then you'll see that Pnei Halacha is about 200 pages. And that means that if it's 200 pages, if I learn a page a day, I have to learn about two or two and between two to two and a half pages a day, and I'll finish the whole Pnei Halacha in a year. All of Hilcha Shabbos. Now you have a pace, you have a goal. And now that's part of your routine. You make it part of your routine. This is, this is you know, the same way I get up in the morning and I brush my teeth. I say, because of Torah, I put on my tefillin. I also learn two and a half pages of Pnei Halacha every day. You know Hilcha Shabbos. You know Hilcha Shabbos. So all the guys in the dormitory are going to ask, can I do this, can I do that, can I do that? And you know, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy that knows. Yeah, I know exactly what to do. So that's something which you can do across the board. You can do that with halacha, you can do that with chumash, you can do that with gemara. Gemara I would do a little differently. Gemara I would, if, I would, I would if, at your place in life, I would for sure have a shear that I listen to when it comes to gemara. Whereas when it comes to something else, when it comes to halacha and chumash, Rambam, whatever it is that you choose to learn. So there, the information is pretty straightforward. Gemara, even Pshatna Gemara is complex. So if you can have a shir that you listen to, you know, either to double-check yourself or to prep yourself before you learn, then I think that would be uh, advisable. If you're learning Gemara, I would not just listen to a shir, though. Because I'm going to be honest with you, a person who just listens to a shir when they're learning Gemara is listening to about half of the Gemara. And half the time they're, they're spaced out. That's just a fact. It's not... Uh, it's, that's just the reality of human beings nowadays. We don't have the concentration capacity to listen to something. If we're in a classroom and someone's talking for an hour, we don't have listen to the capacity to listen to an hour, let alone if I'm in my dorm room and I'm walking down the street and I'm listening to a shear, like, it's like exponentially worse. So obviously you should have, you know... Uh, time that you sit down with the Gemara itself. So if you want to prep, if you want to go over it after you learned it, then it's beautiful. It's a great thing to do. But, and you should do it, but that shouldn't be just that. Now, um, so let's say you want to learn B'yin. Yeah? You want to learn B'yin. So how am I supposed to learn B'yin? It's one thing, you know, if I have a Rebbe, I wake up. I go to Davidin, come back after breakfast, I had some breakfast cake, whatever it was. And now, you know, I get a marmakim, a sheet, I have a chavrusa, I sit down, and then afterwards there's a shear. So then learning begins very simple, because I just have to go through the program and then it works. But now I'm sitting in a dorm room. I'm sitting in the hillel, I'm sitting, you know, on an army base. And I want to learn something a little more in depth. So what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do that on my own? What, what am I supposed to do... What process am I supposed to go through? So I think as follows. I think that the whole point of Ian is to know why is that which is being said being said. So all you have to do is be systematic about it. Be systematic. So I'm just going to go through the system and I'm going to tell you what I do when I learn a sugyam. Tell you what I do. It should be, in a certain way, you're going to recognize this. It's going to be very familiar with you because what we do in Shear is very similar to what I do by myself. So, the first thing you should do is opening up a Masechta. Pick a Masechta, especially when you're on your own. Pick a Masechta which you're interested about. 
it's an interesting topic, something which you're excited about, something which you're curious about. You know, if you start pulling out Shavuos, and you know, Shavuos Shtayim Shem Arba, and you're like, what in the world is Shavuos, and what am I talking about in this? So then it's not going to go. But if you pick up something which is more interesting, whatever that is to you, you want to learn Sukkah, you want to learn Saita, you want to learn Makkas, whatever it is, whatever piques your interest. So then, great. So now, you open up the first Mishnah. Read the Mishnah. Every time that you learn Be'ir, it has to be preceded by Be'kiyas. Meaning to say, it's a ridiculous question to ask, why is that which is being said being said, before you know what's being said. It's like we do in Shia. The first thing you do is read it. Let's read through it. <coughs> what's, the, what's the Mishnah saying? What's the Mishnah saying? What's it telling me? What are the rules in the Mishnah? How many parts are comprised of the Mishnah? You know, what's the nuance between this part of the Mishnah and the next part of the Mishnah and the following part of the Mishnah? Just breaking down the general structure of what's being expressed here. Right? Yudha Nasi was very, very concise. So if he has a Rish and he has a Seifa, there's a reason why he put two different dinim in. You know, the fact that a Gemara says, it's Agav, the Reisha, these are all Deichakim, right? The Gemara had a question before that. So the basic assumption is that every aspect of the Mishnah is super relevant. Yeah? So now, that's stage one. What's being said in the Mishnah? What's the general structure of the Mishnah? How's that being expressed? Now, after that, you start asking whys. So you could ask yourself, you know, why is this the first din in the whole Masechta? So if you're learning Yuma and you see that the din is that seven days before Yom Kippur they put the coin God away, so then you know that we're in a process here telling us what is the Vod of Yom Kippurim and that starts seven days beforehand and that's the earliest thing. And if you start learning Masech HaSukkah and it says that a Sukkah blame as Yom puzzle, so then you understand that we're discussing here with Masech HaSukkah, so what's the structure of a Sukkah supposed to look like, right? But there's always, there's a logic behind every aspect of the Mishnah. So why is this placed here? Why does this halacha come before that halacha? Right? Why did the Mishnah use this word as opposed to a different word? And all these things are just developing a sensitivity to that which is being expressed. So there's knowing what's being expressed, and why is it expressed in this order? Now, when you're doing this, the best thing in the world to do is write. Especially if you're learning by yourself. And even if you have a chabrusa, your friend, your best friend in the whole world is a piece of paper and a pencil. Or a pen. Yeah. Your best friend in the world. I'm telling you, I sit down, you guys, sometimes, I don't know if you see sometimes, like, can I have a paper? It's a paper and there's writing all over the place. It's not organized, it's not sometimes it's organized, sometimes it's all over the place. It doesn't make a difference. Your best friend in the world is a pen and a paper you have a question write it down it could be that the question's a bad question so what do you lose you wrote out a bad question and now you know the answer good and it could be that you're going to have ten kashas on the Mishnah Kishmak you have ten questions on the Mishnah beautiful so these are things you don't understand and you're going to work to understand that's all the question is right so don't be afraid have 15 questions on the Mishnah you know, how many questions do we have on the first mission in, uh, in, in Brachas? Eight? I think it was 11. Yeah, 11. I think it was 11. So it was 13. Well, the first Mishnah, right? I'm not embarrassed. I don't understand this. 
quite understand. I, but I want to understand it and write it. Write it down. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. What you do after this, there's two, there's two approaches. Either you can look at Rashi and the Mishnah, or either you can look at the beginning of the next Gemara. Yeah? Generally speaking, I look at I start looking at Rashi and the Mishnah already. So, what do you do with Rashi and the Mishnah? The same exact thing. Right? At this point, you already have questions. You already saw what the Mishnah is saying, and you have a basic idea <coughs> of the direction that you would want to go now to answer those questions, right? So now, once you have a basic idea of how you would answer those questions, how you would address the points that you brought up in the Mishnah, so now you look at Rashi. So first, before you start putting on your thinking cap, get to know what does Rashi say? What's being expressed here? Yeah? The Bikiyas of Rashi. So what's the Bikiyas of Rashi? Rashi says this, and Rashi says that, and Rashi points out to this, and Rashi points out to that. Now, after you get clear what Rashi is saying, so that we put on our thinking cap and we start asking ourselves, number one, is there anything peculiar Rashi is saying? Does Rashi explain something differently than I would have explained it? Or does Rashi seem to add any extra facts which seem irrelevant? Or does Rashi address a point at an interesting place in the Mishnah that really you should address it differently? And there's all these, be a detective, put on your detective cap, yeah, and be sensitive to the way Rashi's expressing it. Now, once you have a clear picture of the points in Rashi, not just what he's saying, but also the nuances of how he's expressing it, so now you can start asking, why does Rashi say it like this? I would have said differently. What, are, what is my assumption that I'm making in the Mishnah that Rashi can't be assuming? Because if he was assuming it, he would have said this point, or he would have said this point earlier at a different place. And from that, that type of logical deduction, you're able to start painting a picture. Oh, Rashi disagrees with what I'm saying. Rashi is coming from a different point. Where is he coming from? Why would he assume that? You know, let's look back at the Mishnah now. I'm making an assumption of what the Mishnah is conveying. Is there something else the Mishnah is conveying? Oh, maybe the Mishnah is conveying something like this. And if that's true, that lines up with Rashi. And now the Rashi has become something which is not just explaining to you what the Gemara is saying, but the Rashi is, Rashi is actually taking your hand and explaining to you all those kashas that you started out having in the Mishnah Rashi, without doing it explicitly, has answered all of those questions. Right? And that's, the, that's really the goal of learning Rashi. So now, you have your pshat, and you have to hold on to that pshat, and you have your questions, you have to hold on to those questions, and you have Rashi. Rashi is an approach. Rashi is something which is, which is there's a word for this, No, 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 no. It's something which is organic. Rashi is organic. Rashi is an, an organ. It's, it's, orga- it's, it's one thing. It's a, it's a, a sugi is organic, and there's different limbs, but it's something whole. It's something which is fluid throughout. It's not something which is like piece by piece. It's, like a, it's a composite of the entire sugi, right? And really, what I'm trying to convey to you the whole year is that everyone's like that. There's no such reality as taking a piece of a sugi and addressing it as as a piece. 
the peace exists within a greater scheme of of the whole organism, right? The whole organism of the sukya, and therefore, and therefore, that's something which you 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 experienced, and that's something which you should try to look for in Rashi if you're learning it. Now, that's Gemara Rashi. If you're learning Be'iyin, you should not learn less than Gemara Rashi. I'm telling you, I think, I don't know, maybe it could be that I could spend the rest of my life just learning Talmud Bavli with Rashi. It could be. And I feel like I'm snagging from it. Because Rashi is so elusive. And, uh, there's a rabbi I heard speak once, the name of Yank Friedman, he's Rashiva Beitar. He had a language, he said that Rashi is the Gresta Ramai. Rashi is the biggest tricker. Because Rashi, Rashi makes you think that he's saying something Pashat. You just read the Gemara, you read the Rashi, and that's basic Pshat. Rashi is so deep. Rashi is like, he's addressing every single one of these points. He's aware of all the questions that you're raising, and he's dealing with them. That's Rashi. Now you get to Tisvus. Tisvus is not doing what Rashi is doing. Rashi has a comprehensive explanation of the development of the Gemara, whether it be the stage of a question, whether it be an answer. The whole process of the Gemara, Rashi is telling you the development of what's going on. Tosus does not do that. Yeah? If Tosus does not do that, what does Tosus do? So Tosus, generally speaking, does one of a few things. Number one, Tosus attacks Rashi. Tosus loves to attack Rashi. Kasha the Pirusha is right? That's number one. He attacks Rashi. Number two, Tosus is a big fan of the same way we just got finished saying that a sugi is organic and it's a composite of its entire part. So Tosus relates to Shas like that. That Shas is organic. And therefore, it's the every aspect of Shas has to fit into the totality of Shas as a whole. So Tosus will ask a question that is a contradiction between this Gemara and that Gemara. Right? And really what Tosus is trying to do, he's trying to create a comprehensive, fluid, not contradictory text. The Talmud Bible, with an understanding. So there's a contradiction between two different Gemaras. The third thing that Tosus does is he'll ask from concepts, conceptually. Right? The Gemara says this. Aye, but we know there's a principle like that. The Gemara says that Smos, right, tell them that the, the girls don't have to give up their life, that they can be with the, 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 the what's it called? They can be with the hegemon. And there the Gemara has it, right? Where's he coming from? Comes on Tesis. Arayas. He for a concept. So it's not a Gemara, it's not a Rashi. He's asking for a concept that's a general principle in Shas. Now, the goal of every Kasha is not to disprove the Gemara. The goal on a Rishon is not to disprove the Rishon. The goal of asking a question is to bring to a better understanding of what the principle is or what the Rishon is saying. And therefore, Tersis Akasha, I, is Yargula Yavor. So what's Tersis do? It must be that there's this new concept when it comes to Arayos. Ah, there's no, there's no, there's not Yargula Yavor. It's not, if it's, uh, if it's, a, it's not true because it's not called Arayos. Or there's a concept, and maybe it is a riot, but it's, it's Shevot Naisen, there's something called Karka Ulam. And that's how these things get developed. 
because if we're looking at Talmud Bavli as an organism, and that organism has to, is made up of composite parts, those have to work together, right? Ah, uh, you have one kidney, but I found a kidney somewhere else. How could it be? The answer is that even if we don't know what that function is, there's two separate functions of a kidney, maybe, right? Some people would say the point of having a second kidney is to give it to someone else, right? It could be. But there's a function for it. So everything has a function, and that's the way to go ahead and address it. So now, you have a tesis. Tesis asks, generally speaking, one of three questions, and tesis gives an answer. Now, when it comes to tesis, tesis you have to be, if Rashi demands being a detective, tesis demands even more detective work. And it is not worthwhile to look at a tesis until you have a clear picture of the Gemara. Because Tusis is going to be making assumptions. And what are Tusis' assumptions? Tusis' assumptions are that if he discusses any specific point of a Gemara, whether it be in a Havamina, whether it be in a Smaskana, whether it be a Kasha, whatever it was, at any stage of the Gemara, Tusis is expecting you to understand all of the ramifications of the development of the Gemara up until that point and the implicit outcomes and outgrowths of those ramifications. And now he's going to ask a question based off that understanding. So if you look at a thesis and you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about, so either you're lacking in general knowledge that he's assuming that you know, or you're misunderstanding, you're lacking the understanding of the Gemara itself. Yeah? So what do you do? So it depends on what you're holding. If you have the patience and the wherewithal and the desire to work it out, so you can fight on the tesis, right? Fight for it. Fight for a tesis. He's making assumption where I miss out. Do I really understand each point? Go over the Gemara again. Is this point clear? Is that point clear? Which stage of the Gemara is tesis asking on? Uh-huh. What assumption is he making now that he's saying in Rashi? Could you have understood Rashi differently? Now that's why he's asking on him. Right? All these things, double-check yourself. But you really have to be a detective. You really have to... The same way that if you're writing a thesis in a philosophy class, so you're writing a, a hard deal, right? you're, you're writing a thesis in a, for literature, so you have to question the author, and you have to... Uh, understand what's their underlying message they're trying to convey and what's the themes that are going on and what basics are being assumed. So you have to do the same exact thing that I deal with the Gemara. I had a student named Noam Karger that's in Wash U, which is a pretty good college. It's not, it's not, it's not top tier. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. What's Wash U or NYU? What's better? It's it's. Why she's better than my you? It's like same thing. Really? They're all, they're both really? You think so? Okay. The student council president decided, and he has and he has and he has a vested interest. So he's going. The student council president who's going to NYU said why she's better than NYU. So that's already I'm a couple that. So he's at he's a Washu. He's a bright boy, Kanira. Yeah. Even if he wasn't Washu, he'd be a bright boy. But he told me that he wrote a paper for a philosophy course, and his teacher responded that your your paper it's too 
It's too straightforward. It's too basic. The questions that you ask are not such strong questions. Why? Well, you don't think that the author understood that question? What's that mean? This is Akashan Rashi. Imamah, she sent me a voice note. He's like, you know what she asked me? I was like, I was so excited. She's like, what, you don't think Rashi understood the Tzitzah's Kasha? Rashi knew Tzitzah's Kasha, so Rashi answered it. She asked him to do that in his philosophy class. Right? So it's not like you don't have these skills. You have these skills. So take this. Tzitzah's Kasha. What's Tzitzah asking? What's Tzitzah asking? What assumptions are being made in the Sugya? Get that clear. Get that down. Have a straight perspective. Now, let's readdress it. Let's readdress it. Let's go back now. Right? Oh, this is what this is to say. Now that I have clear, right, stage one is to get clear what this is saying. What's his question? What's the answer? Right? What's the proof? Why does he have to bring a proof? Right? Only you have clear what's being said. Now, ask a new question. Does Rashi agree with this? Is this something which has to be universally accepted in the Gemara? Or is this something which is unique to Tosmos? Do I have a proof that Rashi agrees with this? Or, from the virtue of the fact that Rashi doesn't say anything, can I assume that he agrees with it also? Right? And these are now, I have to go ahead. Is this, a, is this a principle? Ask yourself that. If it's something which is universally accepted, great. If it's something which is debatable, so then, you have to look at Rashi. Do I, have a, do I have a proof one way or the other? If I don't have a proof one way or the other, so I'm leaving it open. I'm not, uh, I'm not coming to any conclusions. This, I know Tosis holds. This is an issue that has to be addressed. What's Rashi? I don't know. It could be like Tosis, it could be not. Keep it open. So that's learning Gemara Rashi Tosis. Then, Baruch you've made it to the Mishnah. Yeah. Now, that's something called the Gemara. The Gemara is coming along to explain the Mishnah. The Gemara will never, ever, ever disagree with the Mishnah. A Gemara might do multiple things. It might ask a question on a Mishnah. It might bring other sources that disagree with the Mishnah and say that it's a Machlikas Tanayim. The Gemara might qualify under what circumstances the, the din of the mission is true but the Gemara has, does not have the ability to uproot a Mishnah and therefore generally speaking what the Gemara is trying to do is explain the content of the Mishnah what the din of the Mishnah is and the Savroim did us a big favor the Savroim broke down the Talmud Bavli into different segments based off which part of the Mishnah it's discussing so the assumption is that if the Gemara starts off Menahani Milei and that's the first question, right? How do we know this from? That's the first question following the Mishnah. So the assumption is that the Gemara is discussing the first din of the Mishnah. Right? And now, I have to address the Gemara. So what do I do? That same exact process that you did with the Mishnah, now go ahead and do with the Gemara. Right? So now, how do I know when to stop? I don't want to stop. The mission is very easy when to stop. The mission is short. The Gemara has a huge sukkiyas. So if there's a two dots, that's always a good clue where to stop. If the two dots are four and a half dots later, so then you have to know if you're in the middle of a series of a discussion and the Gemara is bringing proofs and disproofs in the middle of Tashmaz, it's probably better to finish see all the proofs. Right? 
But when there's a natural pause in the sugya, so go through there, learn it up, and then, stage one, what's being said? What's being said? Does it make sense that this is the Gemara is asking, right? And all those questions that we asked before, <coughs> in the Mishnah, apply to the Gemara. Yeah? When I finish that, go to Rashi. When I finish that, go to Tosos. And it's really, it's just getting a clear perspective, a rational, calculated, methodical understanding of each aspect of the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Rashi, the Tisvus. And that's how you start developing and painting a picture. Yeah. So, you say that Tosvus is supposed to use everything as like a unit of shots. So that's why they'll bring up like the contradiction from another sugya. Yeah. Why isn't that like treated the same as let's say Tosvus understood Rashi's question? Like like Rashi understood Tosvus's questions. Like you have to like like what you said, no no I'm told you. Like there's that. You have to like So I'm gonna get I'm gonna get there. But a good question. my question is the Gemara all the time brings up itself and shots different things like Behatanya yeah. right like different things from other sugyas what about this contradiction so then why is it Tosos like why does Tosos have like the right almost to bring up other ones that the Gemara doesn't bring up because don't we assume the Gemara knew about those also yeah for sure home? and that's true and that's why Tosos never disagrees with the Gemara right because what you're saying is true and the Gemara didn't ask that question the assumption is that the Gemara itself the Vina Ravashi didn't see it was a contradiction Yet, to Siskakasha, what's Mamisha Stira in Sugyas? Is Mamisha Stira? How could it be? So, all we're doing now is saying, you're right, it looks like a Stira in Sugyas, but we know they can't be because the Gemara said it's not true. So, then what must be? And now we have a new halacha that came out. And we have a deeper understanding of what really that halacha that the Gemara is expressing is really trying to convey. So, that's, that's, that's the name of the game, really. It's actually quite straightforward. It's, it's methodically, logically, rationally, curiously, with your detective cap on, going through information and trying to understand every nuance of it. Now, that's the basic approach to understanding the Talmud. Yeah? Go off of that? Yitzchak Feigenbaum. Yeah. That's the basic approach to understanding what's being conveyed in the sugya. Now, that being said, what if I want to enrich that? I want to go beyond the Gabon Rashi Tesis, beyond the Gabon Rashi Tesis. That was Bein. You can learn Gabon Rashi Tesis, Bein. If I had a Gabon Rashi Tesis, I don't think I would need anything else. Though. I, that I know I could do the rest of my life. Gabon Rashi, I have a suffix, Gabon Rashi Tesis, for sure I could do the rest of my life. And struggle over it. You will not... Be-in. Why? Why is what's being said said? That's called be'in. What I can learn Reb Chaim Bekiyas, and I can learn Gemara Shetesis be'in. I can learn a Mishnah with the Bar Menorah be'in. Kahati is a suffix. Maybe, maybe. But the Bar Menorah for sure I can learn be'in. Yeah, Bar Menorah. Yeah, Reb Adi Bar Menorah. The Rav is an Arabish. He's an Achron from Italy. He's an Italian Achron. Yeah. That's why a picture of the bottle is... is uh, huh? Really he was an early I don't know how first, but he was in, was in the 1600s, no? I think everybody knows in the 1600s. No. 1600s. No. 1600s. Yeah. 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 Yeah
timeline. What? It could be. Yeah. That's right now. There's one level of the Ian. There's one level of the Ian. This process is called the Ian. Now I could expand my Ian to encompass more things. So right. How much? I, how much you can actually do? I remember when I was younger, I had a project that was learning Baba Kama by myself. I wanted to learn. I was learning Rosh Tisis Rosh. And I was going at a certain pace. Saida so Rebbe told me that I should go a little slower and also see the Rif Naran. And I told him that if I do that right now, it's going to be too much for me. Not going to be able to, my head's going to burst. It's not enough. And I just unravel. The whole thing will unravel. Is I here? So I kept it a little faster pace. But it was Gemara Shtis and Rosh. I was learning that I was learning beer. So you have to know for yourself how much you can do. You know, there's always going to be a question of seeing more and moving forward, and that's always going to be a struggle. Then you have to know for yourself. You're only one that can answer that. Obviously, you could talk to me, you could talk to a different you know what I'm saying, and try to get uh, guidance based on what you're doing, but that's something which there's no rules to that. Now, now, slow, slow, slow. Now it's going to start. So now that's what you want to enrich. We want to enrich our learning. Besides what's immediately on the daf of the Gemara Shittesis. So number one, there's other Rishinim. Right? So in the world of Gemara Shittesis, if you want to know a halachic conclusion from the base Midrash of Gemara Shittesis, you look at the Rush. The Rush is one of the Bali Tesis. The Rush, generally speaking, there are exceptions to this, but generally speaking, will not tell you anything about the development of the Gemara. The Rush will take the entirety of the sugya that's being discussed and I'll tell you the halacha that comes out of it. It might bring down this discussion in the Rishenim, Rabbeinu Tam says like this, and uh, the Rif says like that. And I'll tell you his own conclusion. That's the Rush. That's when the base midrash of the Bali Tesvis. And now that you see the halacha, on one hand, on one hand, it's straightforward, but on the other hand, sometimes the rush will give you an explanation for halacha. And if the rush gives you a certain explanation for halacha, you're going to think to yourself, does that explanation make sense with how Tissa said it? Does that explanation make sense for how Rashi said it? If Rashi was going to convey the halacha, would he be given that reasoning, or is it a different reasoning? And based off that, you can now go ahead and develop maybe a third approach to a sugya. Right? Just because the Rush was on the Bali Tesis doesn't mean they all agree. Therefore, even though he's conveying a halachic work, the reasoning and the svaras that are being expressed in the, in the, how he's conveying the halacha can be demonstrative of a different approach to understanding in the Gemara. So if I see he's giving a certain svara and why the halacha is like this, so I have to go check myself. Does, there, does a shak of Atariya make sense with this being the reasoning by the expression of the halacha in this fashion? If the answer is yes, then great. If the answer is no, so now we have to go stage one. I have a Gemara. This is what's being said. How can this logical conclusion come out of here? And you have to start working backwards. This is the conclusion of the Gemara, according to the, to the Rush. Now, this is, there's three questions, a proof and a conclusion. How does this conclusion make sense now with those three questions and a proof? And you have to work backwards to try to deduce that. That's hard. 
That's hard work. Yeah? So that's <laughs> the rush. That's, you know, generally speaking for Ashkenazim. There are other Rishonim that you can look at if you want to help in the Gemara Ashitisvis. Number one, there is a whole slew of more obscure Rishonim that come from the basement of Shabrashi. So something, if you're learning Sukkah, called the Sefer HaMa'orus. And if you're learning other Masechtas, a lot of times the Rimulunil. Whereas the Rimulunil is the only Rishonim. Yeah, is very similar to Rashi. And if you're learning others, well, there's something called the Sefer HaMichtam. And there's other Rishonim, Ketushin, right? Other Rishonim that that are coming from the basement of Rashi, that if you're not 100% clear what Rashi is saying, you can look there and see what they're saying, and then maybe that will help reveal to you the intent of Rashi. Maybe not, maybe it'll be a whole new approach. But a lot of times, what one Rishon is saying can help reveal what another Rishon is saying. Now, besides that, there's the Baltasis, right? We know there's more than one of the Baltasis. So if you're reading a Tesis, and it's hard for you to understand, so look on the Mesechta. You know, there's something called the Tesis Rush, there's something called the Tesis Shantz, there's something called the Tesis Ravina Peretz, and depending on which Gemara you're learning, there's other Baltasis. So it could be that Tisis, the, the other Baltasis are asking the same exact question, but they're going to modify four words, and they're going to modify the way they express the question in a way that you actually connect to the question. Now, before I didn't understand what Tisis was saying. It was very hard to read. Right? But now I looked at the Tisis rush. That was an easier read. And I realized it's actually what Tisis is saying also, now that I look back at Tisis. That's something which could be very, very helpful. Sometimes they ask questions which... There's a dozen ask it. Now you're going to have to go ahead in a whole new process of trying to understand that. Now, every time you look at something, doesn't mean you have to learn it also. You can look at something. Is this going to be something which is going to be helpful to my understanding of the Maharaj Tesis? or no. I see this is something different. So I could choose it. Right now, my head, I don't have a head for that. So I'm going to stay with the Maharaj Tesis. I know there's something over here, and that's where, you know, if I get back to it, I'll get back to it. But not for now. Now, that's within the Ashkenazim. Now, there's the whole thing. There's the Svarni Vishayin, right? There's the Rosh. There's, not the Rosh, I'm sorry. There's the Ramban, and the Rashba, and the Ritva, and the Ra'ah, and the Ran. And the, I'm putting the Riff aside for now. The Ran. They're all coming from one base Midrash. They're all coming from one base Midrash. I don't, I don't, hold on for the Riff. Hold on for the Riff. Yeah, they're all coming from one base Midrash. And therefore, a lot of times, if you want. Another approach to this Lugia, this is not trying to understand Rashi, this is not trying to understand Tesis, is looking for another approach to this Lugia. They'll give you a, a whole different approach. Now, a lot of times, if you have a hard time understanding the Ramban, the Ramban can be very cryptic. Because it's coming from one base Midrash, generally speaking, the later the generations get, the more, the more loquacious they become also in their writing. So if you look at a Ramban, it's very cryptic, the Rashi is longer, and the Ritva is even more expressive. You open up, you know, a Reb Chaim that explains three lines in a Rambam, it could be five pages. And you can have, you know, Sorim written about Reb Chaim. And everyone's becoming more and more expressive of what was being said before. So that being said, if you're going ahead now and you want to understand a Rambam, so it's the same exact thing. You read the Rambam, you ask questions on it, you have understanding. And that process is really just a process of being a, an honest, curious and questioning invested reader. That's really what it is. And working to come to those conclusions. Um, now the riff did something different. The riff the riff came along 
and he made a halachic work. The way he made a halachic work was by taking the text of the Talmud Bavli and abridging it. And based off his abbreviations, how do you say it? How do you say it? How do you, abbreviations, that's what it is? No, it's, a, it's a different word. Yeah, he abbreviated yeah. Based off his, the way he shortened it, the way stuff is his new his new abridged form of the Gemara, that's his way of expressing to you the halakhic conclusion. Now, that being said, this takes a lot of, you know, this takes detective work. Because, generally speaking, the Rift does add svaras. It certainly doesn't. He adds svaras sometimes, but not always. If he adds a svaras, then it's similar to the rush that you have to go now, let's think the svara, let's reflect back into the Gemara. Does this make sense, the svara, according to what I saw in Rashi, according to what I saw in Tzitzis? It could be it's very, very straightforward. And it could be that the rush, the Rift is saying something tremendous. A whole new approach to the Sugya. That's, that's in regards to Rishenim. Rishenim are coming along. The goal of the Rishon is, for one thing, to explain to you Pshat and the Mishnah, explain to you Pshat and the Gemara. That's really what they're coming to address. Now, in the, there's something called the Rambam. Yeah. The Rambam is a whole Miktsawa in of itself. It's a whole different type of learning. The Rambam is coming along and telling you his halachic conclusions and now telling you how he got there. So now, sometimes, again, it can be very straightforward. But a lot of times, the Rambam has a point which you don't know what he's saying, why he's saying it, and it's confusing, it's not clear. The Rambam breaks up the halachas into two separate halachas that you should think of the same halacha. Or the Rambam puts a certain halacha in Hilchas Brachos when you should think it's really in Hilchas Tvilin, right? And these are all things, these are nuances to be sensitive to in a Rambam. Because the Rambam was very, very methodical, categorized, and clear. And the fact that the Rambam expresses something a certain way, in a certain order, in a certain section, is very, very important, right? Hilchas Purim and Hilchas Chanukah are in the same section in Mishnah Torah. It's not like in, there's, there's Hilchas Rosh Hashanah, and separately there's Hilchas Shabbos, and separately there's Hilchas Erevin, and together there's Hilchas Purim and Hilchas Chanukah. That needs to be understood, right? And these are all things to be sensitive to in the world of the Rambam. Now, a lot of times the Rambam is using pretty straightforward logic. That's the truth. And as much as people like to say complicated shtickle Torahs in the Rambam, if you ever read the, the Chubas Rambam, you'll see that his logic is actually quite straightforward. So, if you have a hard time understanding where the Rambam is coming from, a lot of times, look at the Kesef Mishnah. Look at the Magad Mishnah. These are commentaries on the Rambam, right? And these commentaries are so straightforward. They tell you, you know what? There's a Gemara over there, and this is how the Rambam made these two Gemaras work out. Great. Well, they're beautiful. If you read a Rambam, you're not sure what to do. Yeah? It doesn't make sense to you. You looked in the main commentaries on the Rambam, and it still doesn't make sense to you. You have a question, you think it's a real question, and you're stuck. So, I can tell you what I would do. You see the Rambams in the back, guys? There's different sets of Rambam. There's the Rambams on the top, the old orange ones. Or there's the Rambams, which are like the tan and black ones. Right? Or the blue Rambams. Those, those Rambams are very, very nice. 
The one, the orange one, is a Rambam with just basic commentaries. The blue one is, I think, Rabbi Steinzel's one, right? Yeah. I have no idea what he does. I never looked at anything that Rabbi Steinzel wrote. It could be it's nice, it could be it's not nice. I don't. I have no idea. I'm sure it's very nice. I'm sure it's beautiful. I don't know what his approach is on learning Rambam. But there's one underneath it, a red one with gold writing. Yeah, it's a bigger set. That's called the Franco Rambam. The Franco Rambam did something. He has a tremendous gift to Kalah Yisrael. There's something in the back of each section of the Franco Rambam called the Sefer HaMafteach. The Sefer HaMafteach is an organized breakdown of all the halachas in that section of Rambam. It goes based off of, you know, if you're learning, you know, Kedusha, breakdown, so I'm looking now in Yisrael Bia, and then you can look it up, Perak Aleph, Halacha Gimel. And you have a question on the Rambam, you have a question on the Magad Mishnah, you have a question on the Keshav Mishnah. Any of those things, you can look up, they went along and categorized. They wrote you like as a, a headline. This is the question that one could ask on the Rambam at this point. And they'll give you a list of sources to look at that ask the question. That is an unbelievable resource. That is an unbelievable resource. Um, and they literally quote tens of thousands. They have tens throughout the Rambam. There's tens of thousands of questions and sources that they bring. So if you have a question, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to look, that's the place to look. If they bring down the question, look at the sources. If they don't bring the question, you should triple-check yourself to make sure you're not making a mistake. Because it could be you're asking a question which no one else asked before ever, and it's a bab kasha, it could be. It could be, I'm not saying not. But you have to really make sure that you're doing that before it could just be you're digging yourself into a rabbit hole, right? Which could also be. And we all do that. I mean, do it still some myself also. You know, and I, they are the best thing in the world is a friend. Because you're talking with a friend, and you're like, what are you talking about? And you look at that, but you, you totally missed it. You're like, oh, right. Right? But it could be, other way. it could be, you know, you have a mankasha. That. But that's an unbelievable resource in the Rambam. Now, obviously, the Rambam, a lot of times, has his own sugya. So sometimes it's easy to break into, sometimes it's not. A lot of times, if you want to understand where Rambam is coming from, and it's based off Svara, so there's a, a Rishon called the Meiri. The Meiri did a tremendous work. The Meiri did not go ahead and explain the Gemara line by line. But what he did is, in a certain way, compiled different ways to address a Sugya, and I'll tell you the underlying Svaras behind it. So, a lot of times, a, a sensitive eye in the Meiri is a very good way to reveal what's going on in the logical reasoning in the Rambam. So sometimes they'll quote it, they'll say, G'dalei Mepharshim, or G'dalei Rabbanim, he has nicknames for all the different people, G'dalei Mepharshim is the Rashi, and G'dalei Rabbanim is the Rambam, etc. And that's how he, it's just nicknames he has for them. But uh, you can see there, if you have a sensitive eye, a lot of times from the Meir, you can pick up what's the underlying Svara that the Rambam is utilizing, and if you apply this, you'll get to the Rambam's conclusions. Yeah? So it's a good source, it's a good resource to use. That's in the world of the Rishenim. Then we start the Achreinim. Yeah? The Achreinim <coughs> are doing multiple things, depending on what stage of Achreinim. We're going to talk now about Achreinim just on the Talmud Bavli. We're not going to talk about how to relate to Chuvas. We're not going to talk about how to relate to Halacha. These are all different types of Limud, which... If we get to the point where it's relevant to us, we can have a, a further conversation about it. Yeah? But I'd say as follows. 
when it comes to Achrenim, we'll start with the Marsha. In the back of Gemara, there's a Marsha, a Maharshal, and a Maharam, generally speaking. In the, the back of the Gemara, after the Rush, before the Rif. Yeah? There's a Maharshal, a Maharshal, and a Maharam. Yeah? Those three Achrenim that are brought back together, they're all together, right? The Maharshal's on the top, and the Maharshal and the Maharam on the bottom. Yeah? So the goal of a marshal is to understand the either the svaras or the cheshbon of a gemara. Yeah, that's that's really, the gemara Rashi tells us. The way, generally speaking, it's done through a form of question and answer, but sometimes he'll just make a statement, and the statement is coming to address an implicit question that you also have to wear a detective for the detective hat for. Um, the marshal. The Chazanish writes in the beginning of Kivitz Igrus that the Marashal is a very, very dear Sefer. And the day that it stopped becoming popular was the day that Klayasal's level of learning fell tremendously. Why is that? Because if you're holding very, very clear in Pshat, in Gemara Rashi Tesis, that a Marashal should be easy to read and enlightening. If you're stumbling on the Pshat in the Gemara Rashi Tesis and it's not clear, Amarashah is going to be painful. Painful and most of the time not understandable. And it's a very good litmus test how well you're actually holding in the Svar of the Gemara and the breakdown of the Gemara is to learn the Marashah. Now, the Marashah a lot of times is coming to address someone who came before him called the Maharshal. The Maharshal is otherwise known as the Chachma Shleima. It's not Rav Shlomo Kluger in the Shulchan Aruch, it's a different Chach Mashlema. He is coming to do the same exact thing that the Marashah is doing, but generally speaking, he's more cryptic and more terse in his expression of it, and the Marashah has a fun time taking him to town. Yeah. So that you'll see a lot of times that when you're learning a Marashah, it'll say, Ein Marashal, and if you're learning a Marashah, Marashal, it'll say sometimes in parentheses afterwards, the 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 beta tfus, the print to put it in, Ain Marashal, because the Marashal's arguing with each other. The Chsam Sefer writes in a certain place that it's a mitzvah rabba to try to answer up for the Marashal and and protect him from the cash of the Marashal. Yeah, which is always fun, right? This one said like this, I didn't know that, right? And that's our favorite game. Yeah. Now there's a Sefer called the Maharam, the Maharam's on every Masechta and Shas. But it's on a lot of The Maharam is coming to explain to you Pshat. He's not, he does have kashas, he does have answers, but generally speaking, I heard once from a Magachir that you don't wanna you don't wanna try to answer your question from a Maharam, you wanna be trying to be machavan to a Maharam. Right? Because a Maharam is really just trying to tell you Pshat what's going on. So if you're trying to work out a thesis, you're banging your head against the wall, you've no idea what he's saying, look in the back, open a Maharam. The Maharam very likely is going to tell you if it's on that Masechta, I'll tell you what, stage by stage, what's Pshat and Taisvis. Really? Really? Unbelievable. You're saying it just gives you all the answers. No, because Navdafka, what he's saying is he's going to agree with. But he'll at least tell you his approach to understanding Taisvis. Just Toshua or anything? It is on Rashi also, but generally, primarily, he's, he's working with Taisvis. He also does discuss Gamar Rashi, though. But primarily, it's for Taisvis. 
There has to be a reason why he's addressing the Gemara and Rashi. Um, but then, like, he didn't explain, like, Shah in Gemara or He, he might. Okay. But there has to be a reason why he feels like it has to be addressed more than something usual. Shah Tosa. Correct. So I'm having trouble with the Tosa, like, he's Absolutely. Will I understand any better than Tosa? I assume so. He speaks at much more length. And he's not making assumptions. He's coming to speak out the assumptions that Tosa is making. Yeah. Really. Don't think so. Is that Maram and Ksubis? I don't know. We did Maram? We did Maram Shif. Maram Shif is something different. There was Maram. Maram Shif is something different. Is that Maram and Ksubis? Yeah, that's why I don't I don't see a Maram and Ksubis. Ah, there is a Maram. Yeah. There is a Maram. Yeah, I don't know. The emphasis, I don't look at Maram so much, but there is. Yeah, it's Gvaldic. Everything takes time. Everything takes time. So now, that's getting Cheshman in the Sugya. Now there's a Chreinim. There's so many Chreinim. Beautiful, wonderful, lovely Chreinim. There's Rabbi Kiva Eger, and there's a play of Shua. So let's talk, what's each one trying to do? What's each one trying to come along and try to accomplish? So Rabbi Kiva Eger is, if you feel like you have a sharp Kasha, you have a Kasha which is either going to be a Kasha in the realm what we would call, uh, in the world of Tesis, taking a principle and asking from a principle, how is this application making sense here? Um, if you have a question that something seems like a, a blatant contradiction, you're looking for something which is going to shake the, que- the, the sugi at its core, so then Rebekah Eger is a very good place to look. A lot of times, even if you're not Mechamin to Rebekah Eger, one second, we're going to pause here for a second, Okay, so that's, if you're looking for these types of questions, Rabbi Kiva is the place to look. A lot of times, you're not going to have the question yourself, because you're not Rabbi Kiva But, if you look, it's, it's so geschmack, yeah? It's mamish geschmack. Rabbi Kiva the way they say Nishibas, like, was, he's not straight. Meaning to say that if he says a smaro, even if he doesn't have a proof, the assumption is that smaro is correct. And then if you're not going with that svara, then you have to check yourself. Why aren't you going with that svara? Yeah. Um, that's a big vaguer. Now, in our favorite game of Tosis Eskakasha on Rashi, so what does Rashi do to answer that question even if he didn't answer it? Right? That's yes. a favorite game that we have to have. And then we know we look in the Pnei Yeshua for that. That's our first address. Right? The Pnei Yeshua, the reason why he wrote the Sefer was because when there was a fire burning in his house, he made an oath to Hashem that if he's saved and his family is saved, he will write a safer defending Rashi from Tosis' attacks. And that is how the Pnei Yeshua came out. So, it's a crazy move. It worked. Yeah? So, if you're looking, if you're looking for a place to, to look at in order to understand how Rashi would defend himself from Tzitzit's Kasha, Pernish was an excellent place to look, and we've seen it throughout the year on multiple occasions. Um, now, every Masechta has its own, you know, Achron, that, you know, in a certain way, triumphed that Masechta. So if you look learning, you know, Ksubis, so you can learn the Hafla. If you're learning, if you're learning, Kedushin, you can look at the Makne. And if you're learning sukkah, you can learn the kapos tomorrow. 
The Pnei Yeshua writes himself in Masech HaSulka that he didn't have to write so much because there's a safer that came out called the Kappas Tmorim. He takes care of everything. Like, there's certain Tmorim which on each Masech is the, the, the safer on that Masech. If you don't know, hack around a little bit. It's very easy to find out. Anyone who's learned it before can point you in the right direction. Now, in regarding to, that's like, you know, let's talk about that's basic Achrenim. Now, there are Achrenim who you can look at who are tremendously helpful, but they're new. For example, there is a sefer called Kivit Shiorim. Kivit Shiorim, we said, is written by Rav Hanan. We talked about him in a rabbi symposium. And it was just my OCD. It's not uh, <laughs> and as we talked about our rabbi symposium, and the Kevin Shirim did some a, big, a beautiful thing, is that he made sugiyas into chakiras. So now we have a din of besulah. This is the Ravi. Is that a din in Bira Dayidim, or is that a din in creating an iser? Right? He'll express a chakira like that. Now we would say, oh, that's a gemachal because Rashi tells great. So now, Rilochonon goes throughout different Mesechtas, and he pretty much is the father, he's the king, of making, taking what we would call Sugya, Machlekes Rishenim, different approaches to understand the Gemara, and turning them into Chakiros. Now, obviously, these Chakiros are debatable, and obviously, everyone has fun attacking them, but practically speaking, he like, he's, he's the king at this. He's clear, he's concise, he's deep. It's a beautiful, beautiful sefer. And if you're learning a Masechta, it's very worthwhile to look at it. It's a good investment if you ever plan on learning more of Ian, because it's two volumes. They're short, they're not so expensive. And if you have it on the Masechta, it can elevate your degree of learning, you know, exponentially. There's a yeshiva in Givan Mordechai called Hebron. Hebron has over a thousand students in the yeshiva. Um, they learn second seder, Bikias. Bikias means they learn Gemara, Rashi, Tesis, Kivit Shurim. That's what Bikias means. Just to give you an idea, like, you know, it's, like a, it's a fundamental sefer. Um, now, besides that, there are things like Reb Chaim Rambam and this and that. Those things you don't learn. Kaseda. Those are things that come up. You're not going to find it on your own. You're not going to be like, oh yeah, there's a Rebchaim here. You have no idea. You have to know, right? So how are you going to find it? So either you're going to be learning the Rambam and you're going to have a question and they'll point you to Rebchaim and the Sefer of Tayach. Or nowadays there's something called different ways that people call it. Either Raid Svarim, Raid Yiddish means Red, Red. It's from Lashon that people talk about. The different topics people talk about. Raid Sefer. Or they're called Kitzah Svarim. The Svarim that pretty much aren't coming to give you a comprehensive understanding of the development of the Gemara. But rather they're coming to tell you different sources to look at different places, different things that come up, different topics. So... You know, you can look at a safer. And you guys have seen this Masifta? Yeah. The Masifta Gemaras they have here? Yeah. So a Masifta Gemara in the front is like an art scroll in Hebrew. In the back, there's something called the Yalkut Mefarshim or the Yalkut Biurim, I don't know what they call it. And there, what they'll do is they'll write a question. The question is, how could 
David Melech be with Bathsheba, even if he gave her again on a condition, there it's a subject to write <coughs> right? Whatever they however they write it, right? They're gonna write that. And they'll say that this one says like this and this one says like that. And they'll give you the basic structure. So what can you do now? So either you can be like, oh, I know exactly what the Gemara says and I can sound smart because I know what everyone says about it. Because you read a paragraph. Or you could learn like a mensch and open it up and realize that they quoted it half accurately, half not accurately. And understand what's being said in the Gemara and know how to reapply it now back into the Sugya. So that's a great place to, that's a great tool. It's a great tool to utilize not as this is the end of my understanding, but there's a great tool to find sources. And there's other svarim. You look in there, if you ever go to a svarim store, there's a million of these svarim, whether it be a Dvar Yaakov or a Ter Shmuel, and there's a million different svarim. Some mesechtas have specific svarim which are more, which are only for that mesechta. You're learning Shabbos, you know, there's a certain sefer, and if you're learning, and, and every, every mesechta has its own specific safer which nowadays it's so easy to find sources that really you can you know is readily available any questions yeah question in learning or in the sake of we're totally sidetracking oh, ah, yeah 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 great how can you how do you know that you like actually understand something, or you're kind of just like thinking you understand it that you don't? Because like I feel like it can happen if you're like either reading a Gemara, Rashi, Tosfot, or any or Mishnah or something, and you can feel like oh, I'm translating like all right, I understand. But then like oftentimes like for example, you that can happen and then, like come to Shir, it's like <laughs> it's not at all. How can you like not fall into that mistake thinking you understand it but you don't? Yeah, this is a great question. There's two ways to do this, and they're doing the same exact thing, either by writing or by talking. What do I mean? Either write out the sugya, stage step by step. Right? I told you, a pen and a paper, your best friend when you're learning. Um, write out the sugya step by step. The Gemara says like this, and the Gemara asks a question like that, and the Gemara answers like this, and the Gemara brings a proof like that. And just write it out. Does it, you'll, you'll catch yourself this makes no sense I don't understand what's happening here why did the Gemara make that step where does that jump come from that's number one the same exact thing you can do with an independent paper even have the Gemara open but speak out the Gemara speak it out like you're explaining to someone else there's a Mishnah the Mishnah says these following halachos the Gemara asks what's the source for that the Gemara brings a, uh, an answer the Gemara brings a support like this why is that a support? Wait a second. And this is a support because... What do you mean this is a support? What is a support? And try to explain it. Just explain it. Give shia to yourself. And if you're being intellectually honest, then a lot of times you'll catch yourself that you don't really understand how there's a jump. There's a jump here, right? I'll give you an example. This happened to me. This happened to me... One testament aleph. And Tesaman Aleph, the Gemara is Takasha from the Bryce of Kinu Vestira. Right? Remember this? The Gemara is Takasha from the second Bryce. So how could you say, Rebbe Lazar says, Right? 
So there I caught myself and I said, I don't get it. The two different types we saw them. One's a Shevin Abshei and one's a, one's a real Isser. But you catch yourself. What are you talking about? That has a, why is it a Kasha? I caught myself when I was explaining to myself. That's a real question, though. That's a question that has to get addressed. And from there we saw that really Rashi and Tis, everyone's addressing that question differently, but everyone's addressing that question. But the more you speak it out and the more you try to explain it in a clear clear, uniform way without using ambiguous terms, then the, that's a very good barometer of what you're saying is actually makes sense or not. If you see, I'm, try, I'm very, very particular not to use any yeshiva's terminology. Right? I don't like a din, I don't like a this. That's the whole, I try as much as I can to speak in English. First of all, because it's good for the audience. But second of all, a lot of times people use terminology in Hebrew to guise the fact they don't really understand what's being said. And they don't even realize it about themselves. What do you mean by that? Now, can you explain that to me? I'm slow. I don't, just don't get it. Please, please explain that to me. Right? And a lot of times they can't because they <coughs> kept it in their head, logged away as some kind of like bathroom glass foggy idea, which if they give it a terminology, then they could check off that it makes sense. But the more you speak it out and explain it in a clear, cohesive way in English, then if you're able to do that, then it's a very, very good sign that you're doing something correct. Follow-up? Yeah. Yes. Um, about Rashi, and also this extends to us with the mainly Rashi, is it would you recommend against looking if you if you like if I'm having trouble or if anyone's having trouble understanding like the, the Mishnah or the Gemara, you don't fully get it. Is it okay to still go on to the Rashi to help you understand it, or do you still need to just like try and work it through? Because like, like I feel like sometimes I go find myself like looking at the Rashi you're just like oh, I don't fully understand so I'm gonna check the Rashi. So you would, would you recommend against? That? Listen, I'll tell you as follows. I would say. What I would recommend first, really, really, I should have said this in the beginning, is that it's worthwhile before, you know, every Masechta has its vernacular. Every Masechta has its vernacular and its concepts. It's a very worthwhile investment before, if you're going to start a Gemara, to learn the Mishnayis first. Even if you learn the Mishnayis with the Kahati, learn the Kahati in English, I don't really care. Just to familiarize yourself with the ideas, with the concepts that the Masechta is going to talk about, that way, when you open up the Gemara, it's going to be a different game. It's much a game changer. That's number one. Number two is that, let's say you're now at a Mishnah, you're at a Gemara, you're stuck. You can't work out a Pshat, you can't work out translations even. Sometimes Rashi gives translations, right? So then, I would say for sure you can look at Rashi to help you get Pshat. But realize that you're coming in with an unbiased perspective. That the, the value of seeing a Gemara before you see Rashi is that you can come into the Gemara objectively. You're making less assumptions. The moment that you look at Rashi and you, he's telling you what's going on in a sugya, so then you don't know if that's coming in because he has a certain assumption already and there's a bias in his interpretation. For example, Rashi, this is a stick coming out of my head, Rashi in the Mishnah, the first Mishnah, the second Parakamakas, tells you that the roofs of the houses were slightly slanted. Now, 
it's clear to us it disagrees with that. And it's clear that the mission doesn't have to say that. But Rashi adds that factor. If I didn't have an understanding of what a magila was, a magila is what they used to make the roofs, an instrument, they, the tool they used to help make the roofs, then I had an understanding of what a magila was. And I looked at Rashi, so then I'm already buying into an interpretation of the sugya, which Tisus disagrees with, but I don't, I'm not even going to realize that. So you for sure can do it, just be aware and sensitive to the fact that your understanding, your basic understanding is coming from a non-objective perspective. That's all. So for sure you should do it, just you should have that, that caveat. Yeah. So kind of like shifting gears a tad bit to like B'simcha. more practical, like for us, like what type of learning would you recommend as like the first kind of project that we want to undertake like, that is a, that is a question which I, I cannot answer in a public forum because every guy here is tremendously different and therefore their aspirations should be different what they're doing you know where they're going to college if they're going to college if they're going to shana bed if they're going to the army right every guy here has different trajectories and therefore what they should do with their time is a personal question and I'm happy to talk about that with you but maybe like as like an overall like sense of like what you've seen from your guys like there's no like what I've, I'll tell you as follows what I've seen from my guys is that people who are involved to any degree in Talmud Bavli whether it be Bikiyas or Bikiyan can keep up the learning and people who disconnect from Talmud Bavli whether they want to learn Chumash they want to learn Machshava they want to learn Chassidus whatever it was it's, it lasts for a short time I've not seen anyone who's stayed on learning a long time. I don't know why that is. I have theories. I don't know why. Sure, I don't feel. I don't feel confident in any of those theories. And therefore, that I can say that it's if you want to be involved in learning, part of that time should be should be in Talmud Bavli for sure. Even if you have thirty minutes a day, break. I would break it up to fifteen minutes and fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes, I'm learning. You know, Ahmed Yomi. And, you know, 15 minutes, I'm learning something which I get a geschmack from and I'm excited about. Whatever it is, but if you want that to be a long-term plan, generally speaking, it should, it should involve Talmud Bavli. One second, one second, this also was up. Did you say before there are, like, these stars that will tell you, like, different sources to look at? Yeah. What are they called? I mean, the sect is its own, but I'm saying the Masifta in the back has there's something called the Dvar, Dvar Yankiv, that has there's something called the Izum Akrimun, there's something called the Tereshmuel. There's a million Svarim that do these things. If you are learning a certain Masifta and you want to want to look, so reach out to me. I'm happy to help you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Could you... It's like, an individual or, question. Or, it's like, an individual question. I don't want to. I don't want to get into. If individual questions, I'm happy to talk to you as an individual. I don't want to talk about learning projects in a public format because I think each person's goals and aspirations should be different here. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. Any other questions? Yeah. Any other questions on learning? 
Questions and learning? What if, would you recommend listening to a sheer? Like if they even sort of share afterwards? If a person's learning Gemara Be'in, especially at your age, especially at your age, I would say not only would I recommend it to listen to a shir, but I would say that it's crucial. Because you guys are so raw. You're so raw in svaras and developing things that it's impossible for you not to make mistakes. So wrong or raw? Raw, raw. R-A-W. You're so raw. You're fresh. Having a chavrusa is taking you from being 25% productive to 100% productive. If you're learning with a chavrusa, the amount of the amount that your analytical skills and questioning is going to be enhanced is not comparable. And you both should listen to a shir. <laughs> That's cute. I don't know of an advantage of listening it together as a separate pulse separately. But uh, if it's a practical advantage, like it just it's gonna create a commitment, so that's very nice. But if it's a if you're both listening to it, so I don't know what the advantage is of listening together as opposed to separately. Yeah. yeah. So let's say I'm reading, like, Gemara. Uh, let's say I'm reading on my own, um, and I just don't understand the line, not with Rashi, not with anything. What would you, would you say, how long should you say I should, like, sit on that line and try and figure out before I go to a different resource and try and... That's a great question. So... I'll be honest with you, I think that the moment you open up a safari or a Merkava or an art scroll and you have that next to you, it's going to be very, very hard to have all of your learning not be through that. Because once you're opening it up for Pshatna Sugya, so the first time you're going to struggle through it for five minutes, not get anywhere. The next time you're going to struggle through three minutes, the next time you're going to struggle for half a minute. That's Pashat. That's not something I think empirically you know that already. And therefore my, my basic approach would be is if you could use a dictionary, I don't even care if it's on the phone, use a Morphix, use whatever you guys use, yeah, as a dictionary, so then I would start there first. If after using a dictionary you're not able to do it, so then if you're in a place where there's an art scroll, take the art scroll off the shelf, Bring it back to your seat, look it up, close the art scroll, put it back on the shelf, and go back to your seat. If there's no art scrolls and you have a safari, so look it up. But do your best not to. You know what I'm saying? It's, try to work it out. Try to work it out. The more you have a crutch to help you with your learning, the longer it's going to take to be independent learning. And really, the goal is that it makes we want to have a saint chalkein of right? We want to have our own understanding of a sugya, we have our own development of a sugya. The fact that a zimun, there's a communal benching, you're not going to see anyone write that. That's not in print, really. It's but it's in print because it's so passionate that everyone's screaming it, everyone's screaming it, but no one's saying it explicitly. So that you can't have unless you're able to do this. That degree of clarity in a sugya to that you're understanding. That's a The more that you're reliant on the safari and the art scrolls and everything like that, then 
the less evil you're going to be to have that. So I'm, just, I'm saying, like, is there a value to, like, sitting on, like, the same line or two of Gemara for, like, three hours? Right? It's like, it depends what you're doing. I sit on the same line of Gemara for three hours, not a problem. But I'm not struggling on the translation. Not, yeah, not on the translation of the words, rather, like, the shot of the line. The basic shot? The Pasha shot? Yeah. You don't have a kasha and you're trying to work out the kasha. Yeah, you just try to work out what you're saying. No, there's no, there's no value to that. You shouldn't spend three hours doing that. No, for sure not. You should spend five minutes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Regarding what you're saying with, like, any type of, like, the Kiyas project, and, like, you said, I think, for, like, any type of, like, Amadio business, like, you should have, like, a sheer, but you shouldn't, like, be, like, fully reliant on it, because, like, you're going to, like, lose, like, not going to focus on that. You should, be, you should read it inside also. So, yeah, so I'm saying, would you recommend maybe, like, Listen to the shear to get like it's kind of what you were saying with like you do Mishnah's first to like understand what it's saying. So it could be like you listen to the shear to like get the basic shot, like the tough words that you would know or otherwise would know. Do that and then sit there and try to learn it yourself. That's great. That's great. Uh-huh. If you listen before and after, either way, just to check yourself. Well, use this prime or not. That's fine. You can use it as a primer or or as a reviewer. Either way. Uh-huh. But not let it be the end. Yeah, but that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be limited to that. Sure. It shouldn't be limited to that for Bikias, for sure not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I know you know it well enough that to listen to a shear, just like Bikias. Bikias or Bikias? Listen, it's, it's, you have to know what. Because there's so much, like, you know, <coughs> it's like. Listen, it's a. It depends how you're trying to do it. If you're trying to, if you're keeping up with the shear, that the shear is, is something which is developing, and it's a weekly shear, a daily shear. So then you keep up pace with that. If you're doing it on your own, so then and there's just a bunch of old recordings that you have, whatever it is, you have a database of recordings, then you can decide. You know, when you feel like it's Ajayla Magas, you do it to the best of your ability, or you didn't do the best of your ability, but you don't feel like putting it in anymore. And I'm saying it's a personal question. It's not a very wrong answer. Sometimes you're more prepared when you come to Shia, and sometimes you're less prepared when you come to Shia. It's not, uh, yeah. Any more questions? Uh, maybe you said this, but uh, wasn't clear to me. Do you think it's best to have a Shia even for Bikia? I think it's good to have a Shia for Bikia to check yourself, to make sure that you're just not totally missing something. I think once you're a few years into learning, then you don't need that. It's not necessary. But I think in the beginning, it's good to listen to Shia. It's not such a big deal, you know. You're going, you're walking across campus one day, you know. You can listen to an Amadiyami Shia in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know. I'm not saying you have to have a whole, you have to sit down at a desk and just only be doing that. For reviewing or priming or this and that, you don't have to do that. It could be while you're walking across campus. But I think it's a good idea. I'm going to end with this. So this is going to be the last two. And then if there are more questions, but I don't want to be late for a minute. You, know, you said you should pick what you feel like you get excited about. Um, but would you recommend like any set that are like just like really good for this type of thing? For uh, Chinuch? Yeah. I would recommend Prakim or the Masechtas. Okay. But if you want... Uh, Prak, you know what's in Listen, the... The fourth parak of Brachos is great for independent learning. Mamish excellent. It's Why? easy. It's concepts you're familiar with. 
Um, the smarters are not so, so it's not so difficult, and there's a bastion of information about it. Um, I would say the third parak of Rosh Hashanah is excellent. The third parak, yeah, that are good that are good for for kill beginning independent learning. Ian, Ian. For the Rebbe Third said the seventh parak of Brachos also, but yeah, for Ian. But he started already. So if you want something fresh, um, what else? The first parak of Psachim. The first parak of Psachim is excellent. The tenth parak is cliche a little bit, but I think the first parak is even better. That's the truth. The first parak I think is better for independent learning. Um, give me a second here. No. Maybe, maybe Rabbi Lezer de Mila in Shabbos. Perek Rabbi Lezer de Mila. It starts on that Kuflamen, maybe. That's a great parak to learn on your own. The eighth parak of Yuma. It's, it's, no, I take that back. Some of the reading is hard in there. Some of the reading is hard in there. Megillah, the second parak, the third parak of Megillah. Excellent. The fourth parak of Megillah, also excellent. Um, what else? The third parak of Ksuvis. There's some interesting concepts you have to get used to, but the third parak of Ksuvis is also excellent. It's a little more difficult. If you want to learn uh, in Kedushin from Dav Chavtes, Kedushin Dav Chavtes, and onwards, is the middle of the first parak, the second, the second parak above Metzia, the third parak above Metzia, also excellent. Um, Makos, the second parak is easy. The seventh parak of Sanhedrin. Yeah. That's what really, if those are all good projects, good place to have projects. Yeah, that's it. I was just gonna add like what what would what if like you started it it's like going pretty well but then you're just like not so excited about the, what you're learning anymore or you just are like kind of So I'm gonna tell you the truth, it's good to a part of your fulfillment in learning is gonna come from completing things and feeling like you have a whole a whole unit of learning. If you start and you learn half of, you know, the third parak of, of Sukkah, so you know about some of the minim of Dalad minim, but you don't know about all of them, you're going to feel like empty. You're going to end up walking around like, like I know a little bit on everything and I know nothing. I think if you could push yourself to have a shlemus in whatever you're learning, in the long run you're going to feel much more fulfilled, even if the short run is an investment. Okay, Mr. that was an overview. Obviously it's not everything, but it's a good start. Any questions? I'm not going anywhere.